and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the podcast show where I interview the most inspirational and forward-thinking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by the amazing Janice Lau. Janice is the group Corporate Responsibility and Sustainability Director for the Hong Kong and Shanghai Hotels Group Limited, owner and operator of the Peninsula Hotels and other luxury real estate assets. Janice has had an incredibly diverse and colorful background. She's had many, many years worth of experience as an environmental scientist and development economist. She's had multiple awards throughout her career, her 15-year career, and was recently listed in Forbes as one of the world's top female sustainability experts and leaders. She's also the 2009 Sustainability Leader of the Year awardee. And through her international career, she's worked from everything um, across the board, from think tanks through to blue chip multinational conglomerates in the transport, energy and extractive FMCG property and hospitality sectors. Her work's been highlighted as well by global organisations such as Fortune Change, the World List in 2017. And her expertise predominantly lies in embedding sustainability into businesses, as well as managing, identifying and implementing projects using green bond, mergers and acquisitions and, and equity financial structures, as well as advising group board members and management. Phew, I feel quite exhausted at the extensive <laughs> list of... Oh my God, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you hear it back, Janice, which of course, welcome to the show, Janice. When you hear it back, do you ever think, oh Thanks, my goodness. Lila. Actually, yeah. I've done quite a lot in my career. <laughs> yeah, I think as a woman scientist, um, I, through when I started in my career, I just never thought that this is the impact I was going to be creating. And because you kind of make yourself small because you don't want people to notice you. <laughs> so when I look back, I hardly ever look back. But now that I look back, I'm like, oh my God, I've done so much with my life. Um, I have kids. So that's something that, you know, I tell my kids what I do. And it's something that makes me really proud about, you know, the difference I'm making. Yeah, but it still sounds very surreal when I hear people reading a bit about my background. <laughs> I'm like, is that me? <laughs> it's so wonderful and you've got all these qualifications as well and I, I, I confess I, I know a lot about you pre to obviously meeting you today but you also studied at Oxford as well yep yep yeah like, oh my goodness right <laughs> I like, better sound smart on this podcast Layla anyway <laughs> anyway enough of that um just share with us if you wouldn't mind Janice just for all sure. our listeners um you know of course we know a little bit about your background but it'd be great to find out a bit more about what you've been up to and your current projects that you're working on right now before we then go and delve into a bit about your personal background mm-hmm. so yeah um as I said I've always loved STEM as a kid, uh, science and technology as a kid. But when I was growing up, um, well-intentioned teachers, I guess, were confused that why does a girl love math? I I don't understand. And I was discouraged, basically, to do anything that had anything to do with science and math from my well-meaning teachers. (laughs) Um, And so I I didn't tell my parents about it. But later on, when I entered uni, um, I was struggling a bit with maths, and I mentioned it to my father. 
who is a bit of a math genius himself. And he basically said to me, look, I'm willing to teach you um, math in a way that you're never going to have to study it again. And of course, as a teenager, I'm like, hey, yeah, I definitely sign me up for that. And he did. And the way I saw science and math was more about unlocking relationships, um, whether it was um, relationships in nature or relationships about how the body worked. And I was just so, I don't know, I was just so like, I was just, just in such wonder and awe um, that you could represent relationships in such an elegant way. And I just decided that this is basically that I was going to do this for the rest of my life, meaning this was that science, uh, that nature was the best embodiment of math and science. And I thought, like, how amazing is this? And nobody's protecting it. So I then thought, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. I was 18. And yeah, that's pretty much how I started in this journey. The reason I actually have an um, I took economics was um, I'm, my parents are immigrants and particularly my, my dad. And, um, he's a very, he has a very strong South Chinese character. Um, and yeah, I see you laughing <laughs> um, a lot. And for them, they're like, you know, we're not Bijans, we're Asians. You got to do well. <laughs> so I basically grew up just believing I had to give them my best. And he said, look, I'm not sure you're going to get a career, make a career out of environmental science. So I want you to have a plan B. And that's how I took economics. And I'm so glad I did because it's quite rare to find a sustainability person with both a like a science background and an economics background. So that's really helped me as I've moved through business. And this is the reason I've decided to get into a sustainability in business because I feel like I really believe that sustainability um, business can be a force for good. Absolutely. And that's essentially what I'm doing. Absolutely. <laughs> couldn't agree more and that's so yeah. interesting as well about the the south chinese culture and the background because obviously you've had you know you've experienced a lot of very different cultures throughout your career and it would be great if you could kind of share with our listeners a little mm -hmm. bit about the impact that that's had on you because clearly your father and your family have had a big impact on some of perhaps your early decision making the young janice when she's deciding which way to go in her career you've also mm -hmm. obviously traveled extensively you know through to the western uh, western countries rather and study yep. at places like like oxford as well so mm -hmm. you know love to know how the different forces have kind of affected you as you are now yeah i mean look the chinese culture tends to be very traditional and conservative <laughs> and yeah. you know it's all about never asking your elders um you know not really speaking up and I actually, strangely enough, um, because my parents, I think they pretty much had a lot of foresight about the future. And during that time, globalization was happening, you know, in the 80s and 90s. And my parents felt like, you know, this traditional way of just listening to your elders was just not going to work. And so I grew up, literally, I remember as I was five, they, they basically, you know, kind of forced me to read a book a day. <laughs> And I did end up really loving to read. <laughs> um, and But it was really odd because um, after, you know, I read a book at dinner time, they would be, they would ask me questions about the book. And they would ask me, what is your opinion? Do you think the man did the right decision? Or do you think the 
boy made the right decision and why do you think you didn't make the right decision? So at a very young age, I was taught that feedback was a gift. Having conviction was important in life. <laughs> and I was quite young. I still remember it. Up to, I can still even picture it in my mind. Dining table, me, my parents, them asking me these questions. And, you know, in Oxford, as I said, when I went to Oxford, I mean, they ask you to defend your views and it had to be based on facts. Wow. And, you know, you couldn't just like come up and say, you know, I totally believe in this. And then you get your professor saying, that's great. Where are your facts to back that, that up? And so it wasn't, I wasn't too shocked about that. I was, I think what surprised me was that a lot of kids didn't grow up the way I did, especially in Asia. I only found out later on that, you know, when I go out to see my cousins or my uncles or my grandparents, that this was not the norm. <laughs> they would find it odd that I had an opinion as a kid. Really? You know, they're almost like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, you shouldn't have an opinion. Why? Because that's how traditional Asian culture is, right? Like, you don't have an opinion. Um, yeah. And so I think because I would say I was kind of raised in almost like a Western way. Um, when I went to the United States and the UK to study, um, it felt more natural, if that's the right way of putting it. Really? Like, that's yeah, in terms of me being able to speak up my mind, um, I think what confused people, though, was that I wasn't, you know, of course, when you go and meet immigrant families like yourself, um, like myself, I mean. Um, they're still scratching their heads thinking like, you're not Asian. You're not really Asian because you're not traditional and you're not conservative, you're very liberal or progressive in your views. And so it, there was a time in my life where it, I felt almost like there was an identity crisis. Um, like, am I Chinese enough? <laughs> or am I not Chinese enough? <laughs> or am I Asian enough and I'm not Asian enough? And as, you know, as I traveled a lot, I found out that a lot of people in my generation have, I think, compared to our parents' generation anyway, considered themselves global citizens. And so, you know, I found solace in traveling <laughs> because I got to meet other people like myself. Like, I wasn't the only kid who had my background. Um, you know, in Hong Kong, there's obviously a lot of kids who also feel probably the same way as I did. They're kind of stuck between, am I Chinese? Am I Western? What am I? And then I just realized, you know, I have to stand in my own identity and that was hard I wish I'd learned it earlier <laughs> but it's just one of those things and now that I'm a mom um, I'm much more aware about this and I do have these conversations with my kids and I have you know I tell them oh, it's okay to be that because you know they say oh this is the stereotype of what it's like to be Chinese and so there's, there's no stereotype you are who you are and had I not gone through my life experience you know it would have been totally different but just to say you mentioned Oxford oh my god Totally best years of my life. Um, also the most intense years of my life. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I still visit the university and I still can't quite believe that I did go to Oxford, but also at the same time that I survived it. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of my critical thinking, um, a lot of my, I guess, um, commitment, my, my renewed and sustained commitment in my purpose in life really was cemented during my Oxford years. This is so fascinating. Oh my goodness. I wish I'd met you met you decades ago because 
you know, what you're saying, you know, it really resonates. I've written down here, identity crisis. You know, I think that is such a key topic. And if you don't mind me just kind of yeah, perhaps, yeah, let's... Um, perhaps going through that a little bit more, because, you know, I'm sure lots of our listeners have perhaps been able to relate to that specifically. And, I, you know, I certainly have, you know, 10, 20 years ago, you know, certainly being at school, you know, it was really, really hard. Mine was almost backwards to, to yours because, like I said before the podcast, yeah. I was adopted by white British parents and it was very much, yeah. you know, landing then in the UK, didn't speak Chinese, you look the part if you meet Chinese yeah. people, they expect <laughs> you to be like there, and then you're meeting, you know, Westerners and the British, because I feel very British, sure, then, sure. then really, what are you? And mm-hmm. I'd be really interested to know how you then found yourself. You know, I know you said you found solace in traveling which again I feel I have so many similarities because I love to travel because it's this wonderful smorgasbord of lots of different people and this melting pot which is what I believe the world is and should be that we should all embrace these different cultures but Mm -hmm. you know for those growing up or going throughout their careers I think it's really hard because sometimes if there's not anyone who is like you it's hard to know who you can speak to. And it can be, if hypothetically you weren't traveling, then it could be a very, very lonely and isolating place to be. So, you know, is there any advice or guidance that you could give or certainly that you give to your children about the fact that it's fine to be different or to feel certain ways? You know, how did you overcome that? I think it was um, weird. Strange enough, people travel, right? Because they want to see a different part of the world and they think it's really going to be different. And strangely, what I found was I found more commonality when, with other people when I traveled. Like if you go to, um, let's say you go to middle America, and which is obviously not as progressive as the, you know New York or California. And you go and, and you meet people there and you find out they have a lot in common with the tradition, the Chinese traditions of family, of how of close knit families. Or if I like, I remember I had a field trip in when I was still in Oxford. I went to um, this place in I forget somewhere in Wales, and I had to you know just go inside one of the homes and just as part of my degree, I had to kind of do a bit of field trip. And you know they were interested. They. I, I think they probably have never actually met a Chinese person before. <laughs> I'm not sure. And so they had so many questions about, you know, it's somewhere quite funny. Like, do you have electricity? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but it was, but you'd think that people thought, oh, why weren't you offended by that question? And they never, I, I never felt that it was asked out of ignorance. I think it was almost like curiosity. <laughs> um into how other people lived and I and then you know you hang out with the family and you're like oh my gosh if I just close my eyes and kind of you know kind of not think about the accent they're very similar to my parents (laughs) (laughs) and so I actually found more common things between people and despite different races despite the fact that we have different skin colors I found it fascinating that we were actually more common than we think we are and that gave me a sort of, this is why I saw this in a bit of consolation in knowing that in me thinking that I probably am different to a traditional Chinese person, I'm actually not as different to them or even to a British person or someone in Wales or someone in Kentucky. 
Absolutely. And that's the thing, isn't it? Because it's so easy to kind of judge and make assumptions yeah. based on appearance and stereotypes, like you say. And, you know, to a degree, we we all do it. We all kind of make those assumptions and then remind ourselves, oh, no, don't make assumptions, actually, or at least I do that. Yeah, think, yeah, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, you know, we are all flesh and blood and skin and bones and we're all humans deep down. Yeah. So it's that, you know, that, we used to, yeah. Yeah, I was just saying, we still have, I realized we still have the same aspirations. We still want to be, hopefully be, you know, some people I've met would like, is still trying to find the one. I mean, whatever language you say it, or they all want to be happy. I have never met a man who says, I want to be sad. (laughs) So all of us want to have happiness. We want to live life with purpose. And that was just, um, you know, it's weird because obviously in this day and age, we focus so much on what makes us different, but actually we are much more calm. We, there's so many things that make us similar to other people than we, we like to think. So that this kind of, this is what I'm trying to teach my kids that um, not to have an unconscious bias, but it's really interesting because I have a bit of an unconscious bias. I'm not perfect. I think and everyone does have this. Oh, sorry to interrupt yeah. that. I was just going to say, I think everyone yeah, has an unconscious bias. I think it really is just being educated and aware enough that we all do have these biases. So to recognize them and remind ourselves that we are all humans. And like you say, we all want happiness. We all want fulfillment. How do we find yeah. it? We're all seeking our purpose in life. Yeah. And so um, my, my daughter's best friend is black. And it's so funny. She was saying, you know, Jody's my best friend and she's amazing. I love her sense of style. My daughter's 10. <laughs> she's already talking fashion to me. And weirdly, the image in my mind was either a Chinese girl or a white girl. So obviously I go see, go to the school and she's like, here's my best friend, Jody. And I'm like, I would have never even thought that she was black. And Esther, my daughter, never even mentioned it. That's so interesting, though, that she didn't even think to say it. And I think it's kind of, it's quite, it's exciting and refreshing, the fact that actually we can learn such a lot from children and our youth. And the fact that actually, because of everything that's happened with immigration in various different countries and globalization, et cetera, et cetera, that actually it's not even something that you would think to say. Because... You know, thinking back to when I was at school, I remember my best friend who was, she was half Chinese, but she looked quite white and Western. You wouldn't Mm -hmm. have known. She went back and she said, oh, my goodness, there's a Chinese girl in school. And she's Mm -hmm. now, you know, one of my really good friends. But she thought to say it, you know, clearly your daughter is just not even been a factor in her mind because it's just been another person. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. She never, you know, when you describe someone that was not, usually that would be the first way we would say it. Oh, black or whatever from this country. No as if her best friend was like any normal kid out there. And she is. And so it just reminded me, like, I have to be careful with my own biases. (laughs) I I know exactly what you mean. One of my best friends, Selena, she's black, but she was in the minority when growing Mm. up in Leeds. You know, we were in the minority. And so I think when Mm -hmm. you are one of those individuals who have grown up with a physical difference, you know, skin color, whatever it might be, you just automatically presume if there's someone else who is different that you would mention it. But it yeah. is, it's, it, it's great to hear. But that's that's your daughter, and that she's just it's just another another human being because yeah, that's yeah, yeah. at the end of the day, 
Sure. And, you know, on the subject, I guess, around unconscious bias and, and all these kinds of things, you know, how how do you think that as business leaders, we can start to really embrace and understand unconscious bias in the workforce moving forward? Because you know, obviously you've experienced life in the UK and back over in Asia, yeah. you know, there is or at least seems to be with more and more talk around diversity and inclusion, that there are more multicultural workforces. But I think still perhaps not enough is done to really educate people on the fact that, um, you know, we should be aware of our unconscious biases. Wow. Yeah. So it's, you know, somebody said to me, as long as you have a brain, you have a bias. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think it's really just speaking it out. So two, a few days ago, I was talking about unconscious bias with some of my HR colleagues. And, um, and I noticed that when I mentioned that, just to even talk about some examples of unconscious bias and speak and talking about it in a bigger, in a big group of people, it kind of, I say there's almost like a, I would, um, an unspoken, um, agreement that we would keep each other in check. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so <clears throat> right now, some of the people I work with would then say, you know, if I say something or someone says something, they'll be like, well, have you thought about the possibility that a woman could do it? Or have you thought about a possibility that a man could do this? Because, you know, traditionally housekeeping is women, wait, being a waiter is a man or a chef is a man. That's usually the uh, stereotype or the unconscious bias. And so what we're now having discussions is just saying like, is it, you know, could we imagine? And it's really about imagining, as I said earlier, using my daughter's best friend as an example, I could never even just because it never was, you know, I just, I don't know. I just never thought about it that Mm -hmm. it was possible when it could, I have black friends. Why couldn't I even think about Esther not having black friends but because it's not my default way of thinking mm-hmm. um and so you need other people to you need a group of people to kind of keep you in check mm-hmm. um and just say hey have you thought about this and so we all have agreed now that um as a business we kind of need to keep each other uh, in check but also perhaps slow down a bit on some of the decisions we're making because sometimes when we make a lot of unconscious bias is a knee-jerk reaction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So you like with me, when I first started in science, people would look at me, they thought either I was a secretary, which is an amazing job, but you know, that's the stereotype. Mm-hmm. I wasn't the boss or they couldn't believe that, as I said, mentioned earlier that I was good at math. They just did not even think it was possible. <laughs> um, and I have to remind myself that people had biases against me. And I have to be a role model. So, you know, usually when I have discussions with um, my children or even my staff, I try to drop that. You know, when you say fisherman, cameraman, (laughs) it's it's very gender specific. (laughs) It is. It completely is gender specific, but it's just what we're used to. And I think you're completely right. It's having that circle of people, making sure there's that education and that we're having these what would have previously been seen as uncomfortable conversations because it's completely fine to say someone, you know, is what about someone Asian? What about someone black? What about, you know, the more we talk about it, the more it becomes common, everyday, you know, easy to discuss subject matter because perhaps 10 years ago it wouldn't have been you know 
So you're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. Just not making it taboo because when you don't talk about it, it seems like something's wrong. Let's not talk about this. Right. Like, but if you talk about it, it's almost like you break silence and then it doesn't become a big issue. So now we're having these conversations. Um, but and not just from color, race, or whatever, we're even talking about different backgrounds. You know, people have come from the army, leaving the army, probably, you know, a bit scarred or has a bit of PTSD. Um, and they come back to work. Would we like to give these people an opportunity? Maybe. And that's now these discussions we're having, right? Because even in our situation we're so used especially in operations we're so used to hiring people who are like us meaning they've probably come from the hotel industry um or in my previous roles they've come from different sectors but that same industry and you know we've had we've had discussions that how can you innovate if you hire the same people there's more likelihood that they're going to group think um you know it's, an example would be women for example if you have just men having a discussion about selling goods to women and you don't have a woman in exactly it's be reflective of, I the, know, like, of the audience you're know? selling to <laughs> yeah totally. how would they know or like I remember being not in this current company my previous roles you know I would have conversations about um I'd be invited later on and they would say look you're in the in the fifth meeting you're in the final meeting and we just wanted to check because you you're a mom um, would this product? Would you buy this product? And and I'm looking at this product, thinking, uh, no. <laughs> and they never even thought, even at the very first brainstorming session, to bring a mom in just to ask. And I'm like, who who does that? Who who sits in a table knowing that they're gonna sell to this target market and not even asking? the target market to sit down in the meeting with them. And so they basically just wasted like five meetings. Oh. That's just one example of like how important it is to have this it's diverse a, mindset. <laughs> it's a great example. And that's why I love diversity and inclusion and the subject matter so much, just because it is, it's including everyone and it makes business sense. It's not just this, you know, lovely, fluffy kind of, oh, diversity and inclusion, isn't that nice? We should yeah, include yeah, everyone. Yeah. It's like, hello, this makes absolute commercial sense as well. Because like you say, how can you possibly even consider generating revenue from a product if you've not asked or included the target market? Yeah, or, you know, it's so funny. Some people just assume every woman likes pink and, <laughs> and they'll have it in pink and you're like, I actually don't like pink. And then they'll say, well, what is your favorite color? And I say, it's blue. And they're like, but that's a boy's color. Like, it's not. And, and it's, it's just... You know, it's much easier to put people in a box because mm -hmm. it's easier for our brains to deal with that. But that's just not how the world works, right? So, um, yeah, in our case, what we've been doing in our hotels anyway, and I'm so proud that we do it, is um, I've been speaking to some of our HR directors and they're saying we're we, we, like, we want to reflect the diversity of the cities we operate in. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, when people travel, they don't just travel to a place just to see one race. <laughs> of that community, they want to see that level of diversity and we want to reflect that. And it's, you know, this is another business case again, right? So, yeah. Absolutely. They want to see people and feel feelings that are similar to their own because ultimately, yeah. you know, it would make them want to come back. You know, you yeah. come back to a hotel, like 
the hotels, um, by the way, absolutely amazing. One of my favorite hotel <laughs> trains, not just saying that. Um, <laughs> but you go back because you feel something deep inside that actually that feeling you've experienced is something that you can relate to or is relevant to you. And it makes yeah. you makes you want more. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to have a diverse workforce. That's just how it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just moving on to another couple of questions, because honestly, sure. I could be talking to you about this <laughs> all, all day. Um, but I know one of the, the, the kind of key topics that, that we've mentioned before was kind of this overcoming imposter syndrome and mm. how it is possible to do that. You know, with all the successes you've experienced, I know that there would have been a lot of challenges that you would have had to overcome in order to then enjoy those successes. Talk to me a little bit about some of the challenges you faced and how you've perhaps been able to come out of them on the other side. Because I think for those of our listeners who are listening in, whether they are at C-suite level or they own their own business or they are making their way up the career ladder, there's always that feeling sometimes of, am I good enough and can I talk to anyone about it? So I think it'd be great mm -hmm. to learn about your thoughts on this area so that hopefully others listening in can can be inspired and invigorated yeah um when i was i'll tell you a quick story when i was 13 um well i've been bullied pretty much you know since i was a kid and it's because either i didn't look like everybody else um or i didn't think like any anybody else or i was too geeky um, you know, I was, I love math so much. I didn't fit the mold. I didn't fit the stereotype. I may have looked like the, someone that, that was familiar to them, but I didn't act like them. And, um, I remember there was an incident when I was 13, um, where some of my classmates were a bit confused about me and I had such intense bullying when I was 13. Um, and it, it defined who I am today. And it's one of those where you, you, you look back and you're like, how, how was that possible as a 13 year old? And so from that time on, because I was bullied a lot, I just thought I was never good enough, you know, because you, you, you were told you're not good enough. So you believe it. But, um, I think what happened was when I think when I actually, this, my story about STEM and learning, relearning maths from my dad, um, I'm linking growth mindset here because when I tell people that I was so terrible at math, I guess when I was 13, all the way out until I was 18, because of what I'd gone through, I didn't, you know, I, the reason I decided I wasn't going to be good at math because, or science was because I was getting bullied. And I thought if I dropped that, people would like me. <laughs> um. Yeah. So you dim your light and you make yourself small because you didn't want people to, you didn't want to be the target, right? But then my dad created the open this world for me and I was so excited. It was like I had a rebirth of myself. And then I decided that actually somebody said this to me when I was 18 and I was, they said, you know, people don't usually bully others if they don't see the light in that person. And you must have had such a light in you that um, you didn't notice either. They did because you don't really see yourself, right? Other people see you. And so that's really when the, I started understanding this imposter syndrome and trying to work through it. It's taking years. I think I'm getting better at not doing the imposter syndrome now that I'm a bit older. I'm in my 40s. Um, and it's really been a journey of, number one, accepting my identity. 
I can't change who I am physically, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be Michael Jackson where I'm going to be changing my <laughs> color of my skin. Um, it's just, you know, I, I think I could do that, but I'm not going to do that. Like, it's not going to be an easy thing to do. So I had to accept who I was, where I grew up, what that meant. You know, I'm, when I go to London, I still get pe- Chinese people coming to me and speaking to me in Chinese. And I'm not that fluent in Chinese. So, um, and then and I always feel apologetic about it. But now I stand in my identity and say, sometimes in Mandarin, I'll just say, I'm so sorry, I can't speak Chinese. I'm not fluent in Chinese, um, but can I help you? And it's interesting now that I see a lot of Chinese people just light up. In the past, it'd be like, oh, it's so complicated to talk to you. And then they go find someone else. And I feel like I haven't done my bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, but it's, it, the first thing is accepting who you are because that's just important in order to get rid of imposter syndrome. But the second thing I learned importantly was that when someone is bullying you or someone doesn't believe in you, it's because they see something in you that you haven't seen in yourself. And that was really, I would say, so game-changing for me because I always thought that when they said I wasn't good enough, that was the truth. That was the truth, right? And then I realized, actually, that's not the truth. They are seeing something in me. And so they said something. They said they want me to dim my light. And so I've learned, I even tell my kids, even other young girls entering STEM, don't ever dim your light for anyone. And also that it's normal that people don't believe you. (laughs) There will always be someone who won't believe in you. It should never be yourself. And the third thing is, I learned this just recently. Self-talk is the software that rounds our brains. I read that somewhere. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Like, so self, this self-talk Fine is the software. So you, yeah. So there are two things. Either you have a positive self-talk, like I'm, I'm good enough. I'm amazing. I can do this. Or the other end, which is I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Why do they even, why, why am I doing, why ha, I, this is not me. Like I can't, I'm not a successful person. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And this is how I'm getting out of my imposter syndrome. And I think I'm getting better at it. Uh, as I said, you know, having been recognized for my work has helped. <laughs> um, because I had a lot of imposter syndrome when I was winning these awards. I'm like, this cannot be me. <laughs> and now I'm like, hell yeah, this is me. Like, <laughs> I actually did the work. I remember doing this work. I remember doing a mathematical model for a company I used to work for. And somebody asked me and said, I can't believe you won this award. And I said, and I actually remember saying, well, why are you, why would you say that? And they said, because there's no way you could have built that model. There's just absolutely no way. And I said, well, why, why do you say that? And he said, and he said, cause I, I think it's hard. The guy said, and I said, you think it's hard. I could do it with my eyes closed. And I had to say Love it, it with such conviction <laughs> um, and spine. <laughs> um, and I think it was totally just shocked him. He was just like, what did he say? It took him back. <laughs> yeah, I really took him back. And I just said, I'm happy to explain it to you. <laughs> if, and it's just having to remind myself that was me. I did that. I really did that. And I noticed that's a big issue for women, especially in in STEM. <laughs> I was just about to say that. What, ha- what would you say to, to women and other 
you know, minorities when they're feeling or thinking this way um, to, you know, to ultimately own it. Because what you're saying is absolutely fantastic. You're basically owning it. You're having the confidence. You're having the conviction. But I think sometimes the fear is, and I don't know whether this is reflective of other people who are listening. Mm. I'm sure it is, is that they're thinking, oh, people aren't going to like me if I'm too self-confident about the fact that I'm good about these things. And you're right, that it seems to be from statistics, at least a very, very female trait. You know, males, on the other hand, you know, a lot of the C-suite often, you know, it's great for men to be seen as bolshy or really overly confident. I still don't think it is perceived the same way for females. Yeah, that's the double-edged sword, right? That's so weird. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, What I do is I always tell even young scientists, young women scientists, then show them how to do it. Doesn't sound, con- I mean, arrogance is like, I can do it, no one else can. <laughs> and in what I tried to do is almost soften it. I, I wish I didn't have to soften it, but that's just the bias of being a woman. And so now I say, I'm happy to show you how, how it's done. And I've never actually heard a guy say, or anyone say, Oh, that's really, that's really arrogant of you because you're sharing it, right? You're saying, I'll show you how it's done. And I'm happy to explain it to you. And so 99.9% of the time, virtually everybody has not said no to me. They're just like, yeah, share it to me. And then I start sharing it to them and they're saying, this is how it's done. This is how it works. And in a way, you know, people don't like to feel stupid. And so when you explain to them and I'm, you know, Einstein said, if you can't, if you can't explain something simply, you don't fully understand it. But there's, I'm maybe, I don't know. I'm not going to apologize for this, but because I really understand what I'm working on, I can simply, I can explain it to anyone simply. And, and also being able to explain it helps me um, understand the topic even more. So it's also helping me. So that's really what I do. My trick is, that's usually my, um, my response back is, you know, don't believe me, let me show you. And then so that you will be able to understand the topic too. Yeah. <laughs> that's really fantastic advice. And just to just to finish off, because mm-hmm. I know that I've kept you for quite some time, I want no to know, have there been any particular inspirations throughout your life specifically that you could mention that have really helped you along your way? And also, are there any authors, books, podcasts, etc., that you're listening to at the moment that you think would be really helpful to share with others? Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, this might sound a bit cheesy. My mom is definitely my role model. She was born at a time when I think it it just was not acceptable for a woman to have a career (laughs) and more so in science. So she loved, she wanted to get into STEM, but she did not. Um, She had to give way to her brothers to do that. Yeah, so... So it's, it's, um, I'm very, I think I can understand now why she was so adamant that I could be, you could be whoever you wanted to be because she, she didn't get that opportunity. And so she's my role model because she didn't, she never gave up. Um, my other role model is this woman called Rachel Carson, who started the environmental movement in the United States. Um, she wrote this novel called Silent Spring and it's, it's a science fiction novel, (laughs) in the 60s and it totally um blew people's minds in terms of 
how we were poisoning society. Because at that time in the 60s, people thought chemicals were the magic formula. It was going to solve the world's problems. And here comes Rachel Carson, who's this biologist, who basically said, whoa, 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 whoa. no, 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 no. Um, this is actually what's going on. And she does it from us as a storytelling person. She was already doing storytelling back when it wasn't even a thing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. storytelling science and so I'm such a huge fan of hers um she unfortunately died of cancer um, and yeah 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 and you know we're not sure people have conjectured that maybe it was you know um some from some of the chemicals that she had worked on you know that that sort of thing so yeah definitely podcasts um I listen to well I've been right now I'm um I listen to Robin Sharma He's a motiv- like um, he's a lawyer, like a litigation lawyer turned like an inspirational speaker. Um, and the reason I um, listen to him is he basically says something like, "This is the time in our the history of mankind where we need more heroes. And in order to be a hero, I know it sounds a bit arrogant, but in order to be a hero, you have to find your life's purpose. Um, because at the end of the day, when you're in your dying days, you don't want to be regretting your life. And we are all here for a purpose. Um, and can you imagine what the world would be like if we all followed our heart's desires and, you know, um, did work that, that made us happy and, and did work that was aligned with our strengths and didn't care about what other people thought about us. We would be solving climate change. We would be solving you know, um, inequality or the refugee crisis. But because our incentives are dis- misaligned with, you know, what the world needs, we have people who are extremely talented in the wrong places. And so I, I like listening to him because it just reminds me that I nearly made that decision. I actually was going to get into law because not that lawyers, law is a bad thing. I think law is amazing. It's just, I did it because it was the glamorous thing to do. <laughs> and, you know, I, I want to be glamorous. And then I then you know, had this experience with my dad and I just decided I'm going to shift and do something else. Um, but I hadn't, if I hadn't done that, I don't know, would I, would I be living my life with purpose? And, you know, so that's something that really touches my heart and triggers me a lot because um, I want to make sure that my kids, I find myself most of the time Becoming a traditional parent, trying to get my kids to be a doctor or a lawyer, which is so Chinese. <laughs> uh, um, but then having to stop myself and be like, my parents were not like this. Um, yeah. And so it's really, yeah. So that's one thing. But with books, um, I'm actually reading a book <laughs> by Danica McKellar. Um, I'm not sure if you guys know who she is. She basically, I know, have you watched Wonder Years? Was that like a thing in the UK? I haven't. I haven't. So she, um, she was like a child star, child actress, um, and this huge TV show in the United States called Wonder Years. And she became a math genius, basically. And she now writes books about maths. And I read it because I'm just so interested in it. Um, and it just kind of helps me with my trying to remind myself to have growth mindset. That's really it. And I, I listened to yours as well when you invited me. I'm like, oh, I'm going to check her out. So I think what you're doing is amazing Yay! as well. <laughs> yeah, because there's not a lot of podcasts that d- deals with the questions you're dealing and highlights people's diverse backgrounds. So I think that's it's important for other people to see themselves represented. 
Um, I didn't realize that. And that was crucial just very quickly. The Crazy Rich Asians movie, um, Gemma Chan. Oh my I God, I love her. I've seen it. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. It looks uh, yeah, so, um, so, but to, I didn't realize how much I missed seeing people like us on screen until I actually saw us on screen. <laughs> Because then I remembered, when was the last time I actually saw a Hollywood movie that had Chinese people or Asian people? And then, you know, like I, I, was, I was bawling at the end of the movie. Not so much because I was touched by the movie and the plot. It's quite funny. But it was almost like I never knew that I longed for representation until I saw representation. <laughs> It's so, so true. Oh my goodness. I could do like another podcast right now just on this <laughs> because I feel exactly the same way. And there, there really isn't, there, just, there doesn't seem to be, or at least when I was growing up in the UK, not very many Chinese business leaders at all. Not very mm-hmm. many people that looked at all or sounded at all like us. So yeah, and yeah, all yeah. of our, our listeners who are tuning in, I had a chat with Janice beforehand. I was like, oh, my God, I'm so excited. And, of course, I was really excited <laughs> to speak with Janice because she's got an incredible background. But I think part of it is that is you instantly feel, even though you've not met that person, you can't have a relationship with the person who's on the film screen in the same yeah. way. It's kind of like, oh, my goodness, is someone who looks like me, um, even though the background's completely similar. So it is absolutely yeah. true that longing for you know they say humans one of the biggest desires is to feel that sense of belonging and you know exactly you know I think that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast because I think it's so important like you say Janice to really to really celebrate role models and there's some fabulous business leaders out there who I think you know for whatever reason you know maybe there are less of them who are um you know really kind of embracing diversity and inclusion but um, you know, really shine a light on what it is they've done and their backgrounds so that the more that we can talk and the more that we can hear and the more that we can see them, you know, the more that other people are going to come out of the woodwork and think, oh, great, you know, there's more to share and there's more to learn and that other people who perhaps like us who were in the minorities growing up throughout our careers think, hey, you know, Janice is Chinese or Janice has studied, um, studied in the UK. You know, maybe I can do that because I think yeah, yeah, yeah. seeing that does give you that sense of belief and um, sorry seeing someone like you um who is in a position that you admire gives you that mm-hmm. sense of confidence and belief that you can make it and you're not by yourself yeah totally I can't agree more <laughs> definitely bless you and anyway just I mean to summarize everything from from today's podcast I know that we've been on probably actually for about 45 mm-hmm. minutes so I'll do a really super super quick summary um, mm-hmm. and thank you ever so much for for coming on the show today for all of no our problem. listeners you've been listening to the wonderful Janice Lau um, I've learned a huge amount from today's podcast and I really hope that you all have as well least of all the fact that You know, there needs to be more heroes in the world. We all need to speak up a huge amount. If you're having difficulty at work, you're having difficulty in your home life, then remember what Janice has said, you know, really see the light in yourself. If anyone's saying anything negative about you or you're feeling like there is negative energy or vibes, then just remember, you know, that negativity perhaps is actually coming because your light is shining really bright. And so really Mm -hmm. believe in yourself. If you don't believe in yourself, then, you know, maybe other people won't. You know, it's totally fine to own it. I just bloody love the fact that Janice is like, (laughs) yeah, just own it. I did it. I own it. Have that confidence because, you know, if you've got that conviction, then other people will also 
have that confidence and conviction in what you have to say because it's really, really easy to be our own worst enemies. And yeah, note, totally. <laughs> and on Thank that you. note, I'm going to say thanks so much. Um, for everyone who's listening, you've been listening to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders at the podcast. My name is Layla McKenzie. You'll see us here weekly, now on YouTube as well, on the Dial Global YouTube channel, and also on your favorite podcast apps. We're on Apple, we're on Spotify. Um, if you want to visit as well, www.laylamckenzie.com forward slash podcast. You'll find all of the show notes from today's show with Janice, all of the books, the writers, the quotes that she's mentioned, they'll all be in there. They'll also be on www.dialglobal.org. DAL stands for Diverse Inclusive Aspirational Leaders Global. And we will look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs>